and welcome to the Credit Union Overtime Podcast, produced and presented by the Credit Union Webinar Network, powered by FinEd. In today's podcast, we will be presenting a little taste of the riveting question and answer session from Elizabeth Fast's webinar as a part of the collection series, Chapter 7 and 13 Consumer Bankruptcies, Special Rules, Cramdowns, and Risks. Elizabeth Fast is a partner with Spencer Fain LLP, where she specializes in the representation of financial institutions. Elizabeth is the head of the firm's training division. She received her law degree from the University of Kansas and her undergraduate degree from Pittsburgh State University. In addition, she has a Master of Business Administration degree, and she is a certified public accountant. Before joining Spencer Fain, she was general counsel, senior vice president, and corporate secretary of a $9 billion bank with more than 130 branches, where she managed all legal, regulatory, and compliance functions. And so with that, we will just dive right into the question and answer session from Elizabeth's webinar. This is a good time for us to take a break and to see if we have any questions in our queue. So, Rachel, I'm going to pass the mic back to you. Can you let us know if we get any questions in our queue, please? Thank you, Elizabeth. At this point, participants, please type any questions you have into the Q&A chat box to the right of your screen. It looks like we do have a couple of questions already waiting on us. So our first question is, is option four not the same thing as reaffirming? Correct. Because when we talk about reaffirming the debt, that means that the debtor has actually signed a reaffirmation agreement. And by signing the reaffirmation agreement, they are legally bound after the bankruptcy to pay in accordance with the reaffirmation agreement. The option four that we talked about, there is no reaffirmation agreement signed. Uh, The debtor voluntarily just decides to keep paying on that loan. And we'll talk here in a little bit. There may be a situation where you may decide that it's better for your institution to allow that debtor to keep paying on the loan, but the debtor has no obligation. And so the debtor then could quit paying tomorrow, and you don't have any rights against the debtor. So in number one, the debtor has reaffirmed the debt. They've signed a reaffirmation agreement. They've become legally obligated to pay the debt after the bankruptcy. But in the number four example, there was no legal obligation. It was just under the before in the olden days where they had the fourth option, they would allow the person to, as long as they were current on their payments, they would allow them to continue on but they could stop payment at any time. And so that's the distinction between that one and four. Awesome. And our next question is, how many times can a debtor be dismissed? Well, remember that if we're talking about dismissal, that means that the bankruptcy court has dismissed the case and it is like the debtor has never filed. Now, um, It happens a lot, and often the bankruptcy court, they'll just dismiss it because the debtor doesn't proceed with it. I know that that can be aggravating, but there isn't any true limit on the amount of times that the bankruptcy could be dismissed. Dismissed means that, you know, it's like it, it was never filed. 
I know that that can be frustrating and that does happen where the debtor files bankruptcy and then you can't try to collect because the automatic stay is imposed and eventually um, the bankruptcy court will rule that they can't file uh, file for bankruptcy for another, you know, six months or whatever. But there really isn't any specific limitation on that. Awesome. And do we have another question already in? And that is, so the debtor got to keep the vehicle and it was protected. And I'm sure this goes along with an example. Yes, but now I'm not sure which one. And it was protected. The debtor got to no keep worries. the vehicle. Amanda, maybe you can give us a little bit of clarification on that one. And while you're typing that in, we'll go on to the next one. Is it common for credit unions not to participate in cram downs? For you not to participate, um, you actually don't have an option whether when you say you don't really have the option to participate. Um, these are, are the bankruptcy rules which are, which are, you have to follow them. So it depends on what position that you're in. I mean, hopefully, I mean, hopefully what would happen in in a credit union situation is that your debtor would file a reaffirmation agreement. And we're going to talk about that because if the debtor agrees to file a reaffirmation agreement, then they agree to be bound and to uh, be legally obligated to pay the full amount of that debt. Um, so I would say that in the credit union situation, you have more of a chance to get your debtors to sign reaffirmation agreements. But it isn't your choice. It is the it is the debtor's choice on what they're going to do. Fantastic. And our next question will go back to Amanda's. So the debtor got to keep the vehicle and it was protected, and that was in regards to slide number 21. Okay. So let's look at slide 21. Uh, oh, that was the that was the awful, awful situation where the creditor did not file their lien. They were not perfected within 30 days after the debtor got the vehicle. And so in that situation, the, the vehicle became part of the bankruptcy estate. So let's, let's say it's, it's not exempt property. So that vehicle became part of the bankruptcy estate, and the bankruptcy trustee got to use the value of that vehicle and give it out to the other creditors. So it isn't, the debtor doesn't get to just keep it because the creditor failed to file within 30 days. The debtor doesn't get it for free. The bankruptcy trustee is taking that vehicle, and because the lien wasn't perfected within that 30-day period, the bankruptcy trustee gets to void the lien and just make that creditor an unsecured creditor. But the debtor doesn't really benefit. The benefit here was to all of the other unsecured creditors because now they've got a vehicle that they get to they get to share in the value of that. Awesome. Well, thank you for that clarification. 
Um, and our next question is, I just received a denied reaffirmation notice, but it stated that, uh, that they may continue making payments unless they become past due. Um, is it considered an option four? Well, I don't know why um, the reaffirmation was denied um, if it was filed after the debt had been discharged, well, it, it can be signed before. As long as it's signed before the debt is is discharged, the reaffirmation agreement should be valid. Maybe maybe the reaffirmation agreement didn't contain all of the requirements. Nowadays, the reaffirmation agreement, we're going to look at a slide here in a second, but I mean, it's like truth and lending disclosures that you have to include. So I'm not sure why the reaffirmation was denied, but if it was denied, then um, it would it would be like the reaffirmation hadn't been signed. But then they got to continue to make payments unless they become past due. Well, we'd have to look at what the particular facts were in that situation and why the reaffirmation notice was denied. Excellent. And our next question is, if a debtor keeps paying on a vehicle loan without a reaffirmation, is this allowed and can we repossess it if it goes past due in payments? Okay. So if they don't sign a reaffirmation agreement and you want to go ahead and allow them to make payments to you, that's absolutely fine. But you have to re realize that if they haven't signed a reaffirmation agreement, they are not legally obligated to pay you. And so they could pay you this month and then just decide next month they're not going to pay you. But if they don't pay you, then you still have your security interest in the vehicle. So you could still foreclose on your security interest in the vehicle. The only issue there is that if they're still in bankruptcy, you would need to go and get relief from the automatic stay. So you'd file a, you'd have to file a motion with the bankruptcy court to be able to foreclose on your collateral, which the bankruptcy court will grant to you if you're not being paid. Um, if the bankruptcy is done and over, so the debts have been discharged, you would still have the right to go and get and repossess that vehicle if you're not being paid. You just wouldn't have to go to the bankruptcy court because that bankruptcy is already over and done with. You do not lose your perfected security interest. You can always then foreclose on that security interest if the debtor doesn't pay. The only point I was trying to make there is reaffirmation agreement means they're legally obligated to pay. And after the bankruptcy, you can sue them personally for payment. But if they don't sign a reaffirmation agreement, they just voluntarily make payments to you, they can stop at any time. And you can go you can go repossess. Absolutely you can. But they're just not legally obligated to continue to keep paying you. Fantastic. And we have our next question in and that is are we violating the automatic stay by showing our members the past due balances or amounts owed through their online banking? No, as long as you're just simply reporting what the facts are. When I was telling you to turn off those computer-generated notices, those are the ones where 
it says, hey, you're, you're 10 days past due, you're so many days past due, as long as you're not trying to enforce it, as long as it doesn't show as an amount that they truly owe. You know, once, once the bankruptcy is over and that debt is dismissed, then you can't show them as owing that debt because they don't. It's been dismissed. So that would be an issue. But during the bankruptcy, the fact that it, it still shows up, it hasn't been dismissed yet. Excuse me. I used the wrong word. I'm so sorry. As long as so that the debt hadn't been discharged yet, you, you can still show it as owing, but you can't be sending out notices that say, hey, you're past due, you have to pay us, because that would be trying to collect. But it's fine to just show the amount that is due, because that's factual. You're not trying to collect it, it's just factual. And if you're still during, the bankruptcy is still pending, and it hasn't been discharged yet, the debt hasn't been discharged, so that's okay. Once the debt has been discharged, it cannot show up as being any debt past due on your records. Awesome. And next up we have, it looks like a comment in reference to AEA's SBU's question, and is that the backdoor option? We've had that happen a couple of times. It's almost like the judge is giving them the option and the out. But that was worth mentioning. And our next question is, how do you perfect a lien, Elizabeth? Well, it, it depends on what type of collateral that you have. Um, you know, the UCC Article 9, it talks about how you file a UCC 1 financing statement to perfect a lien in a lot of personal property. But if it's a vehicle, it's going to have a certificate of title. And so oftentimes the, you perfect your lien on a certificate of title collateral by recording your lien on the property. Um, if you have a, a home loan, so you either record your mortgage or your deed of trust in the county real estate records, that would be the way that you would perfect your lien in that home is by, you know, taking a mortgage or deed of trust and filing it. So it depends on what type of collateral you have. Um, so UCC Article 9 says you file a UCC 1, but the things that are exempted from UCC Article 9 would, would be like the certificate of titles, like vehicles. And then you would have to record your lien on the title of the vehicle. Awesome. And our next question, with COVID-19 happening, it has taken longer to get titles um, perfected. So if a member purchases a vehicle and it takes four months to get the title perfected, and then in two years they file bankruptcy, is the credit union in danger of losing its lien since it was not perfected in the 30 days originally? So, okay, now first off, um, I want it reminds me of, of something I need to bring up because I, I've run into several credit union clients who allow or instruct their members to actually file that lien with whatever the department, state department is that records the lien. And, and a lot of times the, your member isn't as quick to file that. And a lot of times that 30 day period is gone. It's passed. And so 
I, I, I try to recommend to my credit union clients that they should take the responsibility for making sure that that lien is recorded because you're going to be more diligent, I think, sometimes than, than, your, than your members are. But you will lose, I mean, and that's the situation, is that you will lose your, your lien if you're not perfected within that 30-day period. Now, the person asked if, if the bankruptcy is filed two years from now. Well, no. The 90-day the preferential payment rules are what we were talking about when we were talking about having how you have to perfect your lien within the, that 30-day period. Those are that you only have to worry about it if they file bankruptcy within 90 days. So if they file bankruptcy in two years, you don't have to worry about that. Awesome. And our next question is, um, can you explain a little bit the decision of, re, of a reaffirmation agreement? Yes, and actually, um, we have I have a slide here in a little bit. Um, the bankruptcy rules allow the debtor to rescind their reaffirmation agreement for 60 days after they sign their reaffirmation agreement. So you can't really enforce a reaffirmation agreement until 60 days after your debtor has signed it because the bankruptcy rules allow the debtor to go, oh, I changed my mind. I want to rescind that reaffirmation agreement. That's a 60-day period the debtor has to to rescind the reaffirmation after they sign it. And um, we'll just do a couple more. And if we don't get to your question on this question, we will get to you guys at the end of the presentation with the remainder of these questions. But um, we'll just do a couple more for now. On slide 24, how do we go after the um, twenty? Uh, excuse me, $2,000 if it was not paid um, in VR? Can we go uh, after them again? No, you cannot because so so that's what happens. You become an unsecured creditor for that two thousand dollars. So here we had a one thousand. We had uh, the computer was worth a thousand dollars. So you've got a one thousand dollars secured claim in the bankruptcy. The rest is is an unsecured claim. Two thousand bucks. You'll get paid pennies on the dollar, right? That's what unsecured creditors get paid. So you will just be paid whatever you get, pennies on the dollar, for that $2,000 claim. Once the bankruptcy is over, once it is discharged, you cannot collect that. It's forgiven. So that extra $2,000 you're not going to get. You're going to get the pennies on the dollar that you got as an unsecured creditor for that $2,000 in the bankruptcy. But after that, you cannot go against that debtor for any more money because that debt has been discharged by the bankruptcy. Okay. And next question, what do they consider the filing date on the lien? Since it can take uh, four to six weeks for the DMV to get the paperwork processed sometimes. Oh, good point. So if it isn't if it isn't the delay on your part, in other words, if you get the filing to the Department of Motor Vehicles or whatever state agency it is that records the lien, it's not your fault that they don't get it recorded. Uh, that 30-day rule or the 30-day period, it is when you file it with 
the agency that has to record it. So you get credit based on when you file it with them. So if you file it within the 30 days, you're going to be fine, even though the Department of Motor Vehicles takes another long time before they actually record the lien. The bankruptcy rules aren't going to make you responsible if the Department of Motor Vehicles is behind in filings. And, and next question. On the example of slide 25, so we do not have any rights to the vehicle. Isn't, uh, isn't it collateral for receiving uh, the 10 grand? So, and on slide 25, we were talking about the difference between a purchase money security interest and a non-purchase money security interest. So if it's a purchase money security interest, then the debtor cannot cram down if the vehicle was purchased within the 110 days. In the second example, it was a vehicle that the debtor already owned, and you made a $10,000 loan. You took a security interest in this vehicle that they already owned. That's not a purchase money security interest because they already owned the car. You still get a perfected security interest, but they can cram down because it wasn't a purchase money security interest. You still get your security interest. It's still a perfected security interest, but they would be able to cram down in that situation because you wouldn't qualify for the the exception to the cram down. Okay, and it looks like we have a couple questions slash comments from Amy. Amy, I'm having a little trouble following what those are in reference to. If you can give us some clarification on that, that'd be awesome. And then we will get to those um, at the next question and answer session. Um, so we will do our uh, final uh, question for this session with Colette. Um, uh, and she asks, uh, a member filed a seven. Uh, reaffirmed on on his on his auto loan, uh, made one payment after the reaffirmation was filed with the court. Then his attorney sent notice that he wanted to rescind two days before his discharge. We found out that he had purchased another car before his discharge and abandoned our vehicle, which ended up being towed. Does that re reaffirmation still stand? If the reaffirmation agreement has been signed and it's been more than 60 days and it's been filed at the bankruptcy court, that reaffirmation agreement continues on. So his attorney sent notice that he wanted to rescind two days before his discharge. If he, uh, if he gave you notice of the rescission within 60 days after it was signed, then he can rescind it. He gets the debtor gets 60 days in which to rescind, even if it's been filed with the bankruptcy court. I mean, he still gets 60 days from the date that he signs the reaffirmation agreement to change his mind. So that's the important part. If he rescinded two days before the discharge, as long as that rescission is within 60 days after he signed the agreement, it's a valid rescission. You can access and purchase Elizabeth's webinar on Chapter 7 and 13 Consumer Bankruptcies, Special Rules, Cramdowns, and Risks at our website using the link in our show notes. You can also visit us at cuwebtraining.com. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook. 
on the Credit Union Webinar Network pages. I would like to thank all of our state association partners, our topic experts, and you, the listeners. Thank you for all you do to support your members. Mm-hmm.